Welcome back to the Muzzle Blast podcast, the official podcast of the National Muzzleloading Rifle Association. This week, we're diving back into the Muzzle Blast archives. We've got Hunting Moose with a Muzzleloader by Gene Taylor Starr. This article first appeared in the October 1990 issue, and with hunting season just around the corner, I'm seeing online a lot of people are starting to get their tags filled getting permission to go out and hunt some of the big game out west. We thought this would be a great time to dig up this article and share it with you this week. This podcast is brought to you by Thor Bullets. Thor Bullets are a premium full-bore muzzleloader bullet designed specifically for modern inline rifles. Thor Bullets do not require plastic sabos or belts to be fired, meaning less cleaning for you between shots. The patented copper base creates an airtight seal, giving you greater distance and accuracy. Thor's unique engineering allows the bullets to retain 95% of their weight upon impact, and the controlled expansion ensures large, easy-to-follow blood trails. Thor bullets are currently available in a 50 caliber version that is sized to your specific bore. Thor is also expanding into a new 45 caliber bullet designed for faster 1 in 24 and 1 in 22 twist inline rifles. For more information on these great bullets, visit www.thorbullets.com. We'd like to thank Thor Bullets for their sponsorship of this podcast. The first annual muzzleloading moose hunt and rendezvous in Lake of the Woods, Ontario, Canada was held amidst the vibrant October color of 1989. Based out of the small village of Sioux Narrows, Ontario, and organized by Dean Chris, this was a new adventure for most of the participants. The area we hunted was a striking mosaic of inland waterways, islands, and quaint towns with a rural, laid-back atmosphere. Sioux Narrows consisted of several businesses including lodges with boat rentals and numerous docks for said boats, public and private, as well as the government. Our first night was actually spent in town as there were four-foot waves on the lake, and in the approaching twilight, none of the three in our party wished to identify the unfamiliar landmarks to a place none of us had ever been while traveling across the huge expanse of water. The next morning, we loaded up our rented boats, took our bearings, and started off. Lake of the Woods is a large body of water, and as many of us landlubbers found, one must keep navigational charts and maps in a constant reference to the land and islands to successfully thread through the maze of islands and rocks. After initial one-night rendezvous camp on Bell Island, the group of 38 hunters divided up into four camps, with a limit of 10 hunters per camp. We chose predetermined sites set by the department ministers on the northern perimeter of the all-new peninsula for our hunting camps and left on Sunday for the campsites. The site we had chosen was designated as Moose 2 and was reached by entering a narrow inlet opposite the south end of Bell Island on the peninsula. The campsite was up a trail about a hundred yards to a semi-cleared area where our group proceeded to put up various shelters. Carney Pace and I had two one-pole primitive shelters while our hunting partner Rick Conwell had a pyramid tent. The others in our group had a teepee, wall tent, and another one pole. Two of us were from Colorado, one from Wyoming, two from Indiana, two from North Dakota, and two from Michigan. While there was one other woman in another camp, I was the only woman hunting, and although I had been moose hunting in Alberta several times, I found this area to be quite different. The terrain of Lake of the Woods in the Alnu Peninsula area is of ancient glaciation and is now mostly water and ice-scored landscape outcrops. The highest points we climbed were solid rock formations about 200 feet above lake level. Coming from a nearly 7,000 foot elevation, we found no problems adjusting to the conditions, though we definitely noticed an increase in the humidity. Autumn is gorgeous in the bush as evidenced by the bams or cottonwoods, yellow golden leaves, 
red hazelnuts, and the dark green pines and spruces, along with the gray of the rocks, with brightly covered lichens and mosses. Squirrels and birds were going noisily about their business of preparing for winter, and even the beaver in their ponds seemed undisturbed by the hunters. Monday, our first day of real hunting, was cloudy and rainy, and proved to be our best hunting weather. It was on that day that the two bulls, which were the sum and total of successes, were taken. The fellows from North Dakota, Kenny Heyer and Harlan Heinrich, were from our Moose 2 camp and were lucky enough to be half of the successes in total. Harlan shot the moose with his 54 caliber half-stock Hawken using patched round ball. The shot was clean and well-placed from about 80 yards, and the moose fell near the end of a large, marshy area. The other two moose taken that day were a large bull shot by a hunter from the Moose 4 camp and was a sight to behold as it hung in camp. Harlan and Kenny learned firsthand how big a down moose is when they set to field dressing it, but managed admirably in spite of the young bull's size. Having tagged and dressed it and carefully marked the kill site, they then hiked back to their boat and motored to camp to get help hauling out the meat. Carney's backpacks came in very handy when he and the Indiana boys with Harlan and Kenny went back with flashlights and an abundance of optimistic energy to help. It was well after dark when they returned with the meat and a healthy respect for moose haunches hauled over nighttime brush trails. The antlers on Harlan's moose were not of tremendous bragging proportions, except that he at least had them and a filled tagged. Consequently, there was little ribbing as we ate roasted racks of moose ribs the next night and slurped up every drop of moose stew. First Blood raised hopes as we all set out to hunt the following day. Unfortunately, the weather was improving, which made camping more comfortable, but was detrimental to moose hunting. As Dean explained it, the moose, being large black creatures, warmed too much in the autumn sun, and being prepared physiologically for the cold weather, preferred to hide in the shady nooks and crannies during the warmth of the day. The other factor contributing to our lack of hunting success was a southerly breeze which blew steadily every day from the depths of the peninsula toward our camps. The moose tend to quarter into the wind, which means they are moving ever farther away from the north end of the Alnu Peninsula and our camps, toward the heavy brush of the interior. This made for longer treks deeper into the unknown regions of the brush, which most of us were unwilling to do, remembering the effort of packing meat out on foot. In addition to hunting moose, some of us had bird licenses to hunt the abundant grouse, fishing licenses for the pike and lake trout, deer and bear tags. The Alnu Peninsula has plentiful supply of game and nearly all tags would have normally been filled under different conditions. One camp with several bear hunters chased a bruin around the bush but never quite got to a good shooting point. After admitting our defeat and the lack of meat to take home, we decided to break camp and head back to civilization. Our camp had been home for nearly a week in the Canadian bush and had lost its frightening unfamiliarity by our intimate association with it. We made new friends with similar interests and agreed in Moose 2 camp that the experience and opportunity to hunt moose in Canada with a muzzleloader was definitely worth the effort. Returning to the friendly folks in the Sioux Narrows, we regrouped and prepared for the trip home. Most of us spent a fair amount of money on goods and services in the area, which may help persuade provincial ministers to allow annual muzzleloading moose hunts in the area. A special thanks to Dean Christ and his cohorts who organized this hunt met with officials on numerous occasions, and explained the differing laws to us and kept in constant contact with the various camps. Dean really made waves motoring across the lake between his home and hunting camps and gave an unfailing moral support to everyone. Next year, we're bringing home some meat, I told my muzzleloader. 
We'd like to thank you for listening this week. Admittedly, it's a pretty short episode. We're in the middle of going back and forth, scheduling new episodes here as we head into fall. And the hustle and bustle of rising COVID cases in the area has made it a little difficult to keep on schedule with everything. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. We've got a few more hunting stories in the queue here to bring to you this fall. Hopefully that you have a chance to get out and do some hunting this year as well. I know the muzzleloading season here out east has opened up here quite a bit with Indiana opening up this week. I think we're one of the last states to open up for it. Um, So a lot of you have already had a chance to get out and do some muzzleloader hunting. I hope you have a good time with it. If you have any neat photos or fun stories to share with us, get in touch with us at media at nmlra.org. We'd love to share your stories through the Muzzle Blast podcast or through Muzzle Blast magazine. So check that out. The next two podcasts are already scheduled and recorded, so I think you're going to enjoy them. We've got Suzanne Thompson from the Outdoor Wilderness Ladies coming up and then a special guest for the one after her. So be on the lookout for those in the next couple weeks and we'll catch you next time. This week, we'd like to thank Ted Cash Manufacturing for their support of the NMLRA and the Muzzle Blast podcast. Ted Cash has been a longtime supporter of the NMLRA. If you go to any rendezvous or living history events and you see the fire starting boxes with the magnifying glasses, uh, the brass cap holders, just about all of the hinged boxes, I mean, all of those are coming from Ted Cash Manufacturing. So if you've got one of those in your kit and you're looking for more, or if you're looking for one, please check out Ted Cash Manufacturing. That's tdcmfg.com, or you can give them a call at 608-849-5664.